If you like what you hear, consider subscribing and giving us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Especially early in the feed, subscriptions and reviews are super helpful for bringing new listeners our way. Thank you. Let's let's start in and then we can kind of uh Un- unravel what we've discovered so far and go from there. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Goblins and Growlers podcast. This is Brandon at Way of Brandalore. And this is Josh at Black Cloak DM on Twitter. We had a whole big plan about what we were going to talk about this time because Josh is allegedly a huge fan of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG. Uh, but we learned he's not enough of a fan. Why is that, Josh? So the thing we learned is that... Uh, the Fantasy Flight Games RPG, Star Wars Edge of the Empire, has not been the property of Fantasy Flight Games since early 2020. <laughs> so many things lost to COVID. And apparently what happened was that uh, Fantasy Flight Games was downsizing their like departments so that they have a little bit more structure and control and they're focusing more on things like board games and card games and the star wars rpg just didn't fall within that model so it got moved at first to a sister company which brandon i believe you found that information first so i'll let you do the reveal i've got like 50 tabs open i'm gonna have to really look for that um because then, then we just started goofing off while we were talking about it um uh asmodee i think that was uh the name of the company it was moving to yeah as asmodee games was where it moved first and then i don't did it move again is that what happened yeah because... then it got then it got sent over to uh edge entertainment which is apparently a spanish publisher that is also owned by asmodee so it's like a subsidiary um but according to this uh, year old, more like almost year and a half old article from Geek Native that I've found, it's uh, they're mainly known for translating games uh, from English into other languages, like uh, all the other Fantasy Flight RPGs and even some D&D products. They are not, according to this article, known for developing their own games. I mean, it's not terribly surprising that Fantasy Flight games would move the publishing rights for a game that they plan on no longer publishing to a different studio who I, then also I, moves it to a different studio. I find it hard to believe that Fantasy Flight Games was hurting for money on the Star Wars RPG when you have to spend $180 for three core rule books if you want to have the full experience. Well, all right. So let's let's break a little something down, because I feel like this is something I get a lot when I start talking about this game package, which is you don't need all three core rule books to play the game. You what if literally... I want to be a smuggler who's partnered with a with a gray Jedi? <laughs> so that is still an option. There is in the Edge of the Empire book, there is a Jedi career called outcast and basically it is yeah it's it's your kyle katarns it's your um ahsoka tano's you know jolie bindo oh that's one i don't know brandon are you are you flexing some star wars knowledge on me right now i believe jolie bindo was uh one of the characters in the first kotor i can't remember if it was first or second kotor but i think it was the first one but he was 
Yeah, he was a he was a a Jedi uh, who decided not to be a Jedi anymore. He was living on some planet. It wasn't Kashik, but it was a planet with lots of trees like Kashik. And he's and he just kept being like, I'm not a Jedi. Please just think of me as a member of your party with a lightsaber. I'm not a Jedi. I totally just found this lightsaber. I didn't like make it or anything or get any training. Don't worry about it. He was he was like fed up with the Jedi Order. So he left. But he didn't close his connection to the force like Katarn did. So the thing I find most interesting about the license getting transferred over to Edge Studio is that their website is currently down and apparently has been since mid-June, at least according to their Twitter. They started their Twitter in November of 2020. Mm-hmm. How so, old is this studio? Uh... I mean, if they were known primarily for just translating English RPG works into other languages, why would they need a Twitter? That's more of like a back end kind of function, you know? I guess that's true. And this is specifically the English version of the Twitter. Yeah. By the way, the first result for Edge Entertainment, if you search for it in Twitter, is not, in fact, the current rights holder to the Star Wars Edge of the Empire role playing game. It's at Party on the Edge one, which doesn't tell me what they do, but they look like some sort of Instagram influencer. Uh, Party on the Edge. I it's the same group that comes up when you Google Edge Studio mm -hmm. is an L.A. wedding DJ. OK. But yeah, I can't even find Edge Entertainment's uh, Twitter. We're active or not. Uh, the one that I've been reading is at Edge underscore English. Oh, well, that's natural. Oh, there we go. Edge Studio parenthesis English. I mean, if their whole thing is translating games into other languages, it makes sense that they'd have different Twitter handles for the different languages they deal with. All right. I'm on the website now and I see it's like presumably a Legend of the Five Rings image and it just says we're coming soon. Right. But if you scroll back in the Twitter, it says, hey, we noticed that you all are concerned because the website's down. Don't worry, we're revamping it and it'll be open soon. But that tweet is from June 23rd. Mm hmm. Three months ago. Yeah, and they're also producing a Twilight Imperium game, which is kind of cool. I will say I am excited by the concept of that because Twilight Imperium is such a massive, complex board game. I That's pretty much all I understand about it. I understand that it's a complex board game and it has a lion man on the box. I have played it on a few occasions. And let me tell you, it is a rich and vast game world that you and your friends will ultimately make alliances and betray each other within. So it's Axis and Allies with a Lion Man. <laughs> it's I was thinking a little more Axis and Allies in space. Mm -hmm. Nazis and neutron stars. <laughs> I don't know if I would describe any of the races in uh, Twilight Imperium as Nazis. You know what? Probably the fan base who knows the game better than I do probably does describe at least one of the race cr mm -hmm. choices as Nazis. All right. So as far as I can understand for this uh, Star Wars RPG situation is 
Edge basically has the rights to it. It sounds like there's nothing in active development for it because essentially the game's done and it's been done for many years. So they're probably just going to be reprinting the existing stuff. Yes. My understanding is that they will be the new studio for reprinting the stuff that exists. And so to give to give a little bit of a breakdown, what is what is the Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games RPG? Um, it is a system that came out. Fantasy Flight Games developed it. I looking at the two systems, they look very similar to me. So I would say that it is based on the Genesis role playing system. And it came out in uh, the Star Wars Edge of the Empire, which was the first release, came out in 2013 in November. The way it works is you've got obviously it's set in the Star Wars universe because it's got Star Wars right on the name um, and you've got a galaxy map of different planets that the player characters can go to. They don't really in the book. They don't give you a lot of details on the individual planets, so you can make it as canonical or non-canonical as you please. For me personally, I found it pretty liberating to just go on Wikipedia and be like, OK, so this planet is this and this planet is that and that planet is this because Wikipedia has an entry for everything down to the short story based on the cantina band from the fourth movie and what's the name of their musical genre josh it is jizz music that's right but talking about star wars planets for a second um <laughs> uh like it seems to me that all star wars planets are basically just one homogenous ecosystem that spans the entire planet I'd, they definitely portray it that way. Dagobah, nothing but swamp. Tatooine, nothing but desert. Dantooine, I think also desert. Um, Coruscant, nothing but city. Kashyyyk, water and forest. Yeah, I the only thing that I portrayed that way was Coruscant was literally a city planet. Because oh, also Nar Shaddaa, its ecosystem is crime. <laughs> Nothing but crime here, folks. Mm -hmm. All crime all the time. Uh, Solinar would be so pleased. Uh -huh. No, like. When I was running the game, a lot of these planets don't have very rich entries. They're just basically like, oh, yeah, this was mentioned briefly in this one book where this one person crash landed on this one part and they did this thing briefly and then left. And so after reading enough of those, I was like, you know what? Probably the reason we feel like Star Wars planets are all just one big ecosystem is because George Lucas would only ever take us to. And then, of course, the following directors, once we got past George Lucas, would only ever take us to the one part ecosystem of that planet. And so that's all you would ever see, because when you start looking at like Moss Eisley and things like that, they're all supposed to be kind of a short trip from one another. And it ends up being this situation where it's like, OK, so there could just be this big desert, uh, not dissimilar to the large deserts on our own planet. And George Lucas is like, all right, so we're going to set the entire section of this planet all in this one big desert. That's where everything is going to happen. Well, I mean. Irving Kirshner brought us Hoth, which is referred to colloquially as the ice planet Hoth. 
So Hoth, as I understand it, is almost a moon. Like it's moon sized, but oh. it has an atmosphere. Mm hmm. So I I give that one a little bit more of a pass because it's supposed to be a really small galactic structure. And there are like, if you think about our own solar system, like Mars doesn't exactly have a whole ton of different ecosystems on it. But it may have billions of years ago. Well, that's true. It's a I dead planet. That's different. <laughs> you know what? But you know what else in the Star Wars universe was a moon and had a bit more of a vibrant ecosystem? Well, I know it wasn't the Death Star. Are we talking about Endor? Yeah, no, we're talking about the forest moon of Endor. I mean, yes. Actually, you've got me wondering now, because isn't that like the... No, I'm thinking of Yavin. Yavin 4 is yeah. the fourth moon of Yavin. And right. then also a rich forest ecosystem for some reason. With a bunch of weird pyramids for Jedi. <laughs> Well, you know how it goes. Sometimes you land on a planet, you find a bunch of weird pyramids, and that's where you set up your rebel outposts. Was Yavin Just... 4 like a Jedi outpost before the uh, fall of the Republic? And then the rebels just took up a uh, shop in there? I believe it was a Jedi training ground before the fall of the Republic. Isn't that where Luke founded the new Jedi Order in um, the novel canon? Well, no, because Yavin 4 gets... Oh, no, it doesn't get blown up. I'm thinking of Alderaan. Yeah. Man, I am really struggling with my Star Wars factoids tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm catching myself, but wow, like I'm usually much better than this. It's part of the brain you have to exercise. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing enough Star Wars trivia. That's the trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. OK, so, yes, I believe you are correct. He does go to Yavin 4 for uh, all of that starting up the new order and all of those mm -hmm. lovely things. Marrying Mary Jade, falling to the dark side. Yeah. You know, the good stuff. Mm -hmm. The the stuff we wished that the sequel trilogy would be. Yeah. Jason oh, well. Solo. God, it's been so long since I read those, but I need to reread those books. They're really good. <laughs> They're so good. I remember being enthralled with them. And mm -hmm. we're off topic. A little bit. No, we're, we're still talking about Star Wars. We are still talking about Star Wars, but specifically yeah. because, we're mean, supposed Ky to be talking about. Kylo Ren was based essentially on Jason Solo. Yes, that I do know. So Star Wars Fantasy Flight Games. You got to stop calling it that. Well, it's, uh, that's who made it. Like, they're the ones who developed and published it. I don't know. Is that why we still refer to it as TSR's Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> You make a fair point. You make a fair point. But I don't think I don't think Edge Studio is going to try and lay their like copyright should, on it. You they know should what I mean? rename themselves Edge of the Empire Studios. Ooh, I like it. So the core the core concept of the of the three books is that they are different time periods in the uh, Star Wars universe. And what are the three books? So you've got Edge of the Empire, which is uh, set just before the rise of the empire so or rather like during the rise of the empire but before the like escapades of luke and company so immediately post revenge of the sith exactly you've got um age of rebellion 
which is set during the height of the Empire versus Rebellion kind of conflict. I believe that one is set before the destruction of the first Death Star, but not by much. And then you've got Force and Destiny, which is set during the height of the Republic, when there's a lot of Jedi and some not-so-Jedi figures roaming the galaxy relatively unchecked. We're not talking about the Old Republic or the High Republic, right? You're just talking about like maybe like the 30 years prior to Phantom Menace. I believe, yes, that sounds right, because it's not, as I understand it, it's not set during the period of the Knights of the Old Republic games, which are set during the Old Republic. It's set just before those. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, I love the Old Republic and the High Republic, especially the Old Republic, and I think it is criminal that they never released a setting guide for um the old republic there are I, I like i've read comments from people who are like you know because you know they're talking about making like a like a high republic trilogy or something now and people are like well that just doesn't interest me at all i'm like have you ever have you ever looked at any of like the the like the b or c canon stuff like that's like it's fascinating and fertile ground for all kinds of crazy like early jedi order nonsense it's like, don't let your don't let your concept of Star Wars be frozen in this like 70 year window we've been granted. Anyways, rant over. But I think I think there should be more like people should embrace more like the old Republic, high Republic stuff. I mean, I think that's fair. There's certainly a lot of material to work with. And there's a lot of the there's a lot of the planets you can explore. I think part of the idea is. If you go too far back, then all of a sudden, like a lot of the trade and things like that slow down significantly because hyperdrives aren't quite as capable. Uh, the One of the things I love about the book um, is in Edge of the Empire, when they're talking about tram travel from mm -hmm. one location to another, uh, it's pointed out that the movies, this is in a lot of forums and things, the movies let you move through the galaxy at the speed of plot, where... They can cover basically the entire galaxy over the course of a few hours just because it means that they get to a thing on time. I submit as evidence the opening of Rise of Skywalker, where um, Oscar Isaac is just using the Millennium Falcon or whatever to just zip from planet to planet via hyperspace in seconds, flying in the face of established Star Wars canon. Uh-huh. Well, there's there's a couple of occasions, even in the original trilogy, where there are set locations for these planets on a galactic map now, and they can cover the entire galaxy in a matter of a few hours. And then trying to cover half that distance, they're like, all right, well, it's going to be a couple days. The excuse that's given is that there are hyperdrive lanes that you can travel in. Uh -huh. And some of them allow you to traverse like larger swaths of ground faster because you don't have to interrupt to do different jumps. Some people can do the Kessel Run in less than six parsecs. Some can't. Oh, my God. If you if you want to see how they explain that particular meme, uh, go watch the Solo movie, which I found to be pretty decent. Not the greatest Star Wars film, but it was kind of interesting for them to be like, it's a huge, dangerous cloud that surrounds Kessel. 
And the reason they said six parsecs, which is a measurement of distance, is because he actually did it in a way that no one had before. He just took a shortcut. cutting through the cloud and almost dying in the process. Anyways, I think we were talking about some Star Wars role-playing game. We, uh, we in fact were. So in the, in the book, though, they're like, you can have things move at the speed of plot. You don't have to make it. But if you want to make it be more like, oh, well, you're going to spend this many days traveling, so let's have a bottle episode, essentially, while you all are hanging out in the ship, then they're like, all right, from here to here is about this long. And then just measure that out. That's a very, like, uh, Columbia serial style approach to space travel, which, you know, sort of fits with George Lucas and his inspirations for the movies like for, for that and his, and his work on Indiana Jones with Steven Spielberg. Very, very throwback serialized movies. So it just fits. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's I kind of like that the system, the system takes itself moderately seriously, but it doesn't take itself super seriously. And you can tell because there are little things like that built in. The other thing I really like about the system, and I know this is the thing that drives a lot of people nuts. The dice are not standard dice. They're weird dice. The dice pool with like the 50 different kinds of dice that I have to buy. There's well, uh, uh, yeah, give or take. You've got D20s, D8s, D6s. Those are those are your dice. Some have explosions on the side of them. Some are (laughs) multicolored. Some have like the rebel symbol on them. Uh huh. So you, <laughs> you you've got purple dice, which are the difficulty dice. Mm-hmm. You've the got mace windu dice. Yes, red dice, which are challenge dice. The Sith dice. You've got black. So the reds are d twenties. The purples are d eights, and then there's black d sixes which are your setback dice. All of these have set uh, uh, failures and threats on them. And then the D20, the red D20, has a despair symbol on it. You've got, to counteract those, you've got a D6, a D8, and a D20 that are, the D6 is green. No, wait, that's wrong. D6 is yellow. D8 is green. D20 is yellow. That's what it is. I think you're you're only helping make twice? my point that this is needlessly complicated. No, the D6s are blue. There I am. Okay. I'm I'm with it now. The D6s are sky blue. Uh and then now now but then you've got some D4s that are navy. And then these others are a periwinkle. So the the whole point is that you you gather the pool based on what the DM has set for the difficulty and how good your character is at stuff. But then you can do things like if you had some advantages left over from a previous role or from another player's role, you can use those to boost your own dice pool so that you have a higher chance of success because like, oh, well, they're shooting and that gives you cover and so you've got a better opportunity to get out of cover and make a clean shot. Like the way the dice are set up is to create this narrative effect on the roll itself. And then you roll both sets of dice all at once in this huge pool. And then 
good dice and bad dice cancel each other out until you have your net result. I know I know it drives some people a little nuts, but I like it because everything you do affects what your dice pool looks like and raises or lowers your chance of success as you're attempting it. You end up with these scenarios where you're like in a firefight with a bunch of stormtroopers or whatever, and you're like, oh, you know what? I'm going to throw a smoke grenade down. And it's like, all right, well, that's going to put a setback dice on the field for everybody. And it's like, all right, what I'm then going to do is run away. And it's like, all right, perfect. Like, that's great, because now you're not trying to fight. You've put a setback dice for everybody on the field and you're getting out of here, which is working out to your advantage. Like, you I recognize all- I recognize how the how the mechanic works it just seems overly complicated whenever i think about that and then i also think back to a few years ago when we were actually trying to play a semi-regular uh star wars game like there's this uh in the final season of parks and recreation there's a scene where ben wyatt is playing cones of dunshire the game he designed against some other person and at his triumphant moment he just takes a big random handful of dice and throws them on the table and they roll some fall off the table and he completely ignores them and then just moves his character on the board and that (laughs) is every time i see that it is reminds me of playing the star wars rpg (laughs) I don't think it's quite that bad. Like the biggest dice pool you could have by normal rules legally is a mere 14. Uh Uh-huh. Click that link (laughs) that I just sent you. He he doesn't even read the dice. He just throws them on the table. (laughs) I know. I I would spend a minute or two of every roll in that game just trying to parse my results. I think that is that is probably the biggest drawback of having that many dice on the table is you end up having these like, all right, that that cancels that out. Hold on. That cancels that out. Those cancel those out. Wait, do the explosions mean successes or do they mean? And as you're getting kind of used to that, turns go kind of slow anytime you're rolling dice. But I really I really liked that effect that it had story wise, mechanics wise on how roles went. And so I started working some of that into even when I was running D&D stuff, because you can still have those sorts of like environmental effects give you advantage and give you better odds and things like that. So I will like move DC around based on how visible something is or how close someone is to it or like what else is going on? Like, is this monster distracted by something else? Like say a large boulder falling towards the group. Just in service of the cinematic aspects of the game. Yeah. And that, you know, it's something I don't think I would have thought of without fantasy flight games, star Wars RPG, because it's not something that's in the D&D rules by themselves, but it is something that you can implement very easily once you have a feel for how that would work. Yeah, I mean, and it's the same if you're like play a lot of like fate or even some powered by the apocalypse stuff like it just sort of jumpstarts you thinking a little bit more cinematically, especially if mostly you've just played D&D with like crunch heavy players 
uh, and then that's something you can take back to it. But the Star Wars RPG doesn't just encourage that. It has it has a blaster to your back. <laughs> <laughs> like, do it. I mean, it is it is part of like, I guess I guess that is kind of the thing for me, right? Is that it it almost forces the hands of crunchy players to do a little more RP focused stuff, because if you really want to have the best possible role on the table, then you need to have not only advantageous character skills, but also advantageous uh, surroundings for the situation that you're trying to do. It becomes this whole this whole thing where you're like, all right, how do I not only get the drop on these foes, but also they're fairly close to me, but also I get to boost die on my role either through setting or something else. There's just a lot to think about. There's no easy game of the Star Wars RPG. You're exercising one part of your brain or another on taxing mental calculations. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could argue that D&D &D is a lot of like basic math when you get down to it. I don't know. I Yeah. Once you learn the symbols, it's pretty straightforward. But I think that's the thing that always trips everybody up is you have to learn the symbols to get there, which takes time. I probably would not have fun with that game unless I was playing with like at, like a GM that was super into it and at least maybe one other person in the group who was super into it. So like if you hadn't been running the game, I probably would have just been like, oh, this is just too much to deal with right now because <laughs> I was playing a really cool. I had a really cool character concept. It was like a, a protocol droid uh, that had a split personality and it would black out and kill people and then like return to himself and not remember anything. And I never actually got to like utilize that. I think I think the robot or I think my protocol droid just went around and tried to pick up some people in that weird space disco slash bar that you had us in before a before a like a speeder bike chase. If I recall correctly, your protocol droid did get to do some combat stuff, just uh, not at all in that particular scenario. No, because <laughs> the group decided to send you in alone. You didn't like we jumped in through the roof or something like that. That was that was everybody else. You were I think you walked in the front door because it was like a droids only club. And I just walk in like like the man in the white hat opening the door at the saloon in a Western. <laughs> Are you like, do you have all three of the books or do you, do you just have the first one? I have two out of the three. I wonder how much I wonder how much those cost now, since I guess technically they're out of print. I'm going to look this up. I mean, my understanding is they're coming back to print in the near future, just not immediately. Yep, you can't you can't buy it. It doesn't seem uh, through Fantasy Flight Games anymore, even though it's the top result. Um, let's see. Oh, oh no. Nope, yep, you can buy it. It's like 60 bucks. Oh, but it redirects you to the Asmodee store. So, yeah, 60 bucks is what it always costs. So there's not been like some huge spike in price. This is for the Edge of the Empire book. Got it. That I'm looking at. And that is for the the oldest of the three. Force and Destiny is out of stock and uh, Age of Rebellion's not even there. All right. That's a little weird. I'll admit. 
Yeah, I played the old Star Wars RPG like back in the late 90s, early 2000s. I can't remember the company, but a friend of mine up the street had it and we played a couple times in the summer. I think I've heard that described as a D20 Star Wars RPG. Is that yeah, right? It felt it felt very much like D&D Star Wars, which I'm not saying like as either a bad or a good thing. It just kind of was. And that was like in a sort of fallow role playing period for me. So I wasn't playing a lot of D&D then. And it was before I got back into D&D. So it kind of was what it was. I got I got some really crazy news for you, Brandon. What's that? The D20 Star Wars RPG, I just Googled it because I wasn't sure myself, was a Wizards of the Coast property based on third edition. Oh, well, that doesn't surprise me. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all. The timing works out perfectly for that. You literally just said it felt like the ND. Well, I guess I can't say that I've never played third edition now. Uh, is it really third edition? <laughs> Yeah, it's a long time before and far, far away from third edition. <laughs> so we're at like 36 minutes. What 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 do you want to say about the the nay fantasy flight game Star Wars RPG? <laughs> I. I want to explore it a little bit more deeply in a different episode, because I think we spent a lot of this episode realizing that it's not the property that we thought it was because it's changed hands twice since last time I was looking at buying a copy. But I really enjoy it. I think people should check it out. I think of the three, Edge of the Empire is the coolest, but that's because I am really into the criminal underground of Star Wars. Why don't we do this? Why don't we why don't we just have a part two of this? I'm good with that. You want to just talk about that next time? Yeah, we can talk about that next time. We're already on a Star Wars jag. Might as well. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk to everybody next time about more Star Wars. <laughs> I'm Brandon at Way of Brandalore. And I'm Josh at Black Cloak DM. Uh, and this is the Goblins and Growlers podcast. We'll talk to you later. Bye, y'all. Hey, all you great and gorgeous goblins. Uh, just a note. We're planning on releasing episodes of the Goblins and Growlers podcast bi-weekly for the time being, but we got plenty of content ready to go weekly. We just don't have time to edit it. If we were able to get the Patreon a bit higher, wink, wink, we could pay a part-time audio engineer to edit these episodes for us and turn them around faster and get you weekly content. So, you know, I'm not telling you what to do, but <coughs> patreon.com slash goblinsgrowlers. <coughs>